0: Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV, episode 633. Tonight is a very special episode. Do you know why? Why? Because tonight we are going through the build of our brand new broadcast rig. This thing's been coming for a long time. The viewers have helped out. All you patrons have helped out. This has been a community project that's been culminating to tonight, to the big epicenter of all... Awesomeness! As Robbie is gonna walk us through a couple of clips from the past, some unboxing unboxings, and putting together the broadcast server for tonight's show. It's gonna be a good one. Stick around. Live recordings are trusted only to solid state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSD.
1: Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, and other HLS video players. For local times, visit category5.tv.
2: Welcome to the show, everybody. Well, our broadcast server is ready to go. We're going to be jumping into that in just a couple of moments time, but before we do, I want to remind you, please subscribe to us on YouTube and click that little bell in order to get the notifications. And I think we've got it licked. We've been having all kinds of trouble now we know that there have been some problems with YouTube over the past couple of weeks, and we appreciate the viewers who have let us know about that. Now we're working with YouTube in order to get that working for you uh, this week for episode number six thirty three I believe it is working. We're having all kinds of uh, little issues, and that stems a lot from various us sanctions and you may notice if you are a part uh, you know if you subscribe to services online, you're getting a lot of emails these days saying our terms of services have changed click here to approve that and we're seeing that a lot with things like YouTube and various other services online and that is affecting category 5 TV unfortunately so we're working through that and we hope that you're able to tune in uh, this week with us so click that Bell and that will allow you to get the notifications as they arrive now as I mentioned, our server build is complete. I filmed the entire process. Uh, quick mention before we get into it, though, I want to show you. We've repurposed the, the case that Thermaltake sent us for the previous server. Jeff, Sasha is here with me. Uh, you remember the, uh, the old server case that we had, the Thermaltake level 10 gt Mm -hmm.
0: very nice yeah
2: and it turns out it's deep enough for an i9 9900k it's a beautiful chassis and so we've repurposed that you're going to see that this evening um so just a little uh heads up for you that's the one thing that we've kind of recycled reused uh, with our server build um and that saves us a couple hundred bucks as far as the build goes and it allows us truthfully as Jeff mentioned, there, a beautiful case. It allows us to reuse a case that is no longer available on the market and looks really, really sleek. Draws the attention anytime anyone comes into the studio. Uh, now, what I've done this week is I've taken many hours of work as I built the new broadcast system and I condensed it down and we're going to try to do this within a 45 minute window this evening. I mean, this is a one hour, approximately one hour show. And so we want to be able to condense it for you. So I'm going to do some, uh, some magic with TV and speed things up and make it happen for you. Um, essentially, um, what you need to know is that We've built a a brand new broadcast server. I don't need to say much because I'm going to show you in just a couple of moments' time. But with that server, um, it allows us to do some new things. 4K, 2K uh, broadcasting, we're now 18 over 9 or 2 over 1 aspect ratio, for example. There's a lot of new modern techniques that we're able to use in our broadcast that we weren't able to do before, and those are side effects of just simply replacing an old decrepit server that was um, having some trouble that was on its way out uh, because it had been in use for many, many years, and it treated us well. Uh, You're going to hear about that as well. Uh, So without further ado, I'm going to jump right into it. We're going to start things off with a condensed version of what our patrons saw. So as a patron, you're able to see behind the scenes and things that happen here at Category 5 TV um, that are not on the regular broadcast. And so what I've done is I've taken several hours of creating this server and condensed it down to fit the format of the live broadcast of category five technology tv so i hope you enjoy we're going to start things off with uh with the unboxing video blogs that happened on our patreon channel and then we're going to kick uh we're going to kick into the actual server build so i hope you enjoy and uh we'll see you on the flip side here we go I built our broadcast server, we'll call it, our broadcast system, which at the time was a pretty high-end i7. Uh, I built that back at the beginning of Season 5. So here we are. We're in the middle of Season 12, fast approaching the end of Season 12, and it's time to replace that. So why do we have to replace that? Well, obviously, we've gotten our time out of it. It doesn't owe us anything. It's done very, very well. Uh, But in the course of the past year, we've had some problems with that system. So, namely... One of the PCI Express lanes went out of the board. Now, this is a board, when we purchased it back then, I made sure that it had multiple PCI Express lanes because pulling in HD video via PCI Express, I wanted to separate them out um, so that each video capture device could have its own PCIe lane. Um, Seemed like a good idea and obviously has worked very, very well for us. But then having one of those lanes die on us meant having to pull some of the cards and, and, uh, well, one of the cards in particular we had to pull, which happened to be our hard drive. So I had to switch back from NVMe to um, traditional uh, SATA uh, SSD drives, which has been working well because we no longer have to record to the internal disk of the server. So keeping in mind, back when I built this, we were recording directly to the disk, so we had a RAID 0. Then we upgraded to SSD, followed by NVMe, because we really needed a lot of write power to be able to save real-time HD video in raw format, which is a massive amount of data. Um, Like we're talking, one episode of Category 5 is approximately 65 gigabytes of storage. I don't have to save that internally anymore uh, because uh, you may remember an anonymous contributor donated what's called an an Atomos Ninja Flame, and that is an external recorder unit. So we use HDMI output from that computer now and record to a Kingston SSD that's plugged into the Atomos Ninja Flame. So that brings with it a lot of great things. I mean, that bought us a lot of time because the old system was no longer having to write to disk, so the failure of the PCI Express lane didn't affect us as much as it could have because I no longer had to record to NVMe. I could record externally to the uh, SSD. So, uh, But what else that opens up to us is it is a 4K capture device. So our old system was incapable of producing 4K video just because of the sheer lack of power there. Um, 4K didn't exist, I don't think, when, when I first built it. So in particular, you see me sitting on a green screen. Um, one of the things that the old server couldn't do is chroma key um, once we switch the cameras to 4k and that's because it has to take 4k video and then do real-time chroma key so we had to stop using the green screen um, so that's something we may be able to do again um, but in particular with the Atomos Ninja Flame because it can support up to 4k we can presumably if we upgrade the server we'd be able to do more uh, in higher resolution so certainly when we do game reviews or software reviews we could do that in a, in a higher resolution which could be beneficial especially when it comes to games gameplay videos and things like that Um, but at this time we haven't been able to utilize that the other thing that went out on that system which was uh, pretty detrimental to us uh, is the USB 3 bus so the motherboard had built in USB 3 and we now had we're down one PCI Express Lane so I also cannot use a PCI Express USB 3 card so catch 22 or just you know all right it's EOL I can tell you that so Without, PC, uh, without USB 3, that of course would mean that we couldn't use HD uh, webcams, which we don't tend to use anymore anyway. so that's not a problem. But where it does affect um, the studio is that after every Wednesday show, I have to import the video from the Atomos Ninja Flame and that is done over, you guessed it, USB. And uh, I've been doing that over USB 2 for the past several months. And on a Wednesday night when I haven't had dinner yet and I just finished a, a long day at work and then a long show and then all the you know preparations to post-produce the show after that, it can be pretty tough importing 65 gigs of video over USB 2. So that's another reason that we need to upgrade. So, uh, so let's look at uh, what the plan was uh, and let's see where we're at. So this is a... a spreadsheet that i've simply printed to to give me easy access right now um so we know that we want to build something that is reasonably high-end for the current day because uh, here we are in 2019 uh it's uh it's july 1st as i record this um we want to be fairly high-end because not because we want to have a screaming gaming system but because as we did with the last one we want to get a lot of years out of it and if you start with cheap components and maybe it gets you by for three years but then you're back in the crippled position again three years later and i really prefer to avoid that especially with category five quite often operating on a, a bit of a shoestring budget and you know we make our bills and everything else but there's not a lot left over to be buying extra stuff um so that's where your contributions has really really helped with this at the beginning of this process i mentioned my my slight anxiety about this whole thing um at the beginning of the process, I was um, fairly discouraged myself. Uh, we didn't have a, a ton of contributions coming in, um, and and so that when when something as major as having to replace our our, our main computer system that produces and and broadcasts the entire show uh, comes up, it, it was like, well, what do I do? How how can how can I possibly carry on? And and we've kind of we've stumbled along and we've made it happen and we haven't missed a Wednesday show. And this is fantastic. Um, and that is also largely because of the encouragement that I've received from you f- through the contributions that you've sent. And, uh, I've been sure to, to put all of the contributions that were donated for the server into, um, this particular build. And I just want to like, I want you to know that on a production level, your contributions have made it so that we can keep going on a personal level it 's encouraged me and and helped me um, just personally to feel like i 'm not alone in category five and, and I know i 'm not but i 'm a human too right and we we all get discouraged and what i have around me right now and what we're about to do is a major major encouragement to me and just shows that there's power in numbers and power with our our viewers and and when everybody comes together and now i'm surrounded by what i believe is all the hardware that we're going to need in order to make this happen so let's look at my spreadsheet so first of all the processor <clears throat> that I opted for um, and remember that I've consulted uh, a handful of viewers on our Discord so I set up a private Discord server and we've been discussing this especially out the gate when we were first starting to put this together we discussed the, the pros and cons of going with like a Threadripper versus an i9 uh, what, what we should be leaning toward how we should probably do this um, so it, it hasn't been willy-nilly and it hasn't been uh, my own decisions entirely it's been a lot of consultation with the community and even within my profession, consulting with people that I know and trust who do these kinds of builds a lot, and uh, and so I've consulted them as well. So we opted for an i9-9900K. Uh, cost here in Canada was $745. I understand these are going down in price, and that's a bit of a burn, but it is what it is. Um, there it is, Core i9. It comes with a really nice case, which I'm incidentally hoping to turn into a... Uh, single board computer case when it's all said and done i think it would look really nice with a couple of leds in it so there's the i9 uh, 9900k cpu so this is the old server case and uh, let's see what we got here oh we got a bunch of junk and dust bunnies there's the filter for the bottom just going to set that aside we've got drive trays these bad boys go in here Again, I'm going to set those aside because uh, we've got to get this thing ready for our build. Whoa. She's noisy. It's pretty noisy up in here. All right. So I'm just going to take this outside, get away from all this noise. Whoa. Okay. Made it out. There we are. All right, let's get to it. Give this a real good hose down. Great. She's ready. There we are, folks. Let's get into the motherboard. I think this is, you know, this is ground zero. Step 1 of our build is to actually get the motherboard out of the box. This thing is impressive, folks. There it is. The Gigabyte Whew, Aorus Master the the uh, Z390. This is just Stunning. Okay, I'm being very careful with this. I want to just get it out of the box so that we can get a good look. What else have we got in the box? Looks like uh, Aorus Stickers Galore. That's kind of nice. I'll look at the... uh, I will look at the, the manual and see if there's anywhere that these are meant to go. It doesn't look like they go on the board. These look like stuff that you'd put on your case and really show off that you've got a beautiful gigabyte motherboard. Uh, We've also got uh, an instruction guide and the actual, uh, there's stuff falling out of the manual, the actual, well, speaking of optical drive, good thing I have that, Uh, the actual manual itself. Okay. So, optical disk, drivers and so on, and we've got what looks like a Ferrari sticker but is actually AORUS. Beautiful, okay. So we're gonna be able to deckle out our server or my laptop. So let's get a look at uh, what we have here. Wow, okay. So there's our CPU, it's gonna go there. Well, you guys gotta see the back of this. That's the Z390 AORUS Master from Gigabyte. Look at all the connectivity. So what do I see here? USB 3.1, there's three of them. We've got gigabit Ethernet, uh, USB 3.0, two of those. We've got power on the back. That's kind of sweet. We've got a CMOS clear button here as well. Be careful with that one, guys. We've got four USB 2.0 ports. We've got SBDIF out. uh, Nice-looking gold-plated sound card. Uh, 7.1, looks like. And we've got a USB Type-C as well, 3.1. And Wi-Fi antennas. So this actually has the Wi-Fi uh, built in, I, I imagine. That's <laughs> unexpected and awesome. Because guess there will come a time when you want to have Wi-Fi for sure. Okay, we've got uh, ports here for our M.2s. So these are for the storage. So imagine the days when we used to have to have great big hard drives. Well, those days are gone. Now they're just these little chips. And uh, they look like a memory module of sorts. You just slide them in. And these have a heat sink. This motherboard has a heat sink for each of the M.2 modules. So those are going to be NVMe. And I'm not quite sure how I'm going to connect those as far as like the RAID goes just yet. Uh, but I'm going to get into that. This here looks like... A big honking heatsink and it is kind of attached there we've got some oh I don't even want to remove the there's some protective film on everything just kind of want to leave that until the build is complete and then pull everything off we've got four um, DDR4 sockets here they're uh, socket 1151 looks like 8th uh, gen oh the this is an 1151 obviously these are DDR4 and it supports the 8th gen Intel core Processors. I've got a 999900K to put on there. What else have we got? Okay, PCI Express X16 times 1, 2, 3. And then we've got a couple of X1, uh, uh, they call those X2s? X1. X? I, I never can keep track of all these things. But the little guys, X1s. Uh, We've got three of those, so presumably I'm going to have a lot of room for our big old graphics card, plus we've got a couple of extra PCI Express slots uh, in order to, um, the capture devices are usually the X1s, Uh, so those will be perfect. Just glorious. What do you think of that? Wow. Uh, You see me holding the underside, I'm going to show you this because it might make you nervous, but it's actually plated. See that? Just beautiful. So much precision and detail has gone into this board. uh, And you can see everything is solid state. Look at all those caps. Just beautiful. I love it. All right, so let's get her in there. So this will be the last thing that we need. Um, And just a reminder um, now... Marshman had suggested, why don't we use the old video card to get up and running? And the problem with doing that is that it's a very old card, so um, we'd still have the limits of the GPU, and the GPU is what does all the real-time video processing. So even with a super-fast computer, with all the fixins that you see here, um, we'd still be limited by the GPU, because that's where everything happens as far as real-time video processing. Uh, encoding and everything else happens so the GPU is probably uh, one of the most important parts of a broadcast system Uh, and I use Telestream Wirecast which is able to utilize the CUDA cores on an NVIDIA card right so there's a lot of advantage there so all right let's get into it and let's see what we have here bubble wrap And a plain-jane box. Okay. So this gives me no hints. (laughs) All right. Well, she's big and heavy. Where some things have gotten smaller, video cards have indeed gotten bigger. Holy cow. <laughs> Did you see me start shaking there? No way. Ho. <sighs> oh! Are you serious? For one thing, it looks brand new. (laughs) I mean, it has to be, because this is the newest card on the market. I can't even tell you. guys I really had hoped to be able to do a really good build and you know we set our goals and I thought I set my goals high (laughs) because we want to get good life out of this thing and and have it work really well Um, this is this is above and beyond so Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to even Google the specifications. This is, this is a... Okay, so I'd hope for a 1280 Ti in my, you know, in, and I say my, a, a 1280... No, I, I'm, I can't even think straight right now. A 2880, what am I talking about? A 2080 Ti, I'm sorry, would have been a pretty awesome card. Uh, 2080 Ti is what you would call a consumer card. It's a great gaming card. It's a powerful card, and it has ray tracing. Ray tracing is uh, real-time um, lighting capabilities, which improves the quality exponentially when you're doing demos of like, high-end gaming and things like that. Um, the other thing about the consumer line is that it, uh, it is able to do real-time chroma key and everything else without even thinking about it this is a quadro rtx ray tracing 6000 which means so take the 2080 that we would hoped that we dreamed of and throw more ram in there <laughs> throw more power in there and that's what this is <laughs> Holy cow. Well, folks, so uh, how do I even say thank you? Um, sorry, that caught me off guard, guys. When we come back, I'm going to start putting all this together. Stick around. <laughs> Here's the kit, folks. Let's get a look at uh, what is on the table. To start things off, I've got the Noxua uh, NHD15 Premium Cooler. Um, it's going to go on the Z390 Aorus Master that was sent to us by Gigabyte, and that's going to be perfect for our i9 9900K CPU. To marry the two, I've got Thermal Grizzly Cryonaut Thermal Paste. And then I've got this dreamy NVIDIA Quadro RTX 6000 that they sent us. That we will look closer at in just a couple of moments' time. Then I've got the power supplies in RM850X. I got a great deal on that because it's yesterday's model. And then from there, uh, I've got the Intensity Pro 4K from Blackmagic. We're going to use that as video output to our recorder. Kingston sent us two terabyte NVMe drives, and the RAM. This is gorgeous stuff. Predator RGB DDR4 3.2 gigahertz. And then I've got a couple other things like fans and other things to uh, help us with our uh, reuse of the server case. And that, of course, is the Thermaltake Level 10 GT case that uh, we're repurposing from our old server. I've already installed the motherboard, as you see, but now I'm going to start with the storage. So we've got these Kingston KC2000 2-terabyte NVMe drives that uh, that Kingston has uh, has been good enough to send us. And through the magic of television, of course, I can speed up this three-hour process and uh, make things a lot faster for you as you can see the gigabyte aorus master um uh, is it has the nvme ports directly on the board so i don't have to supplement the the motherboard with like uh, pci express cards for the storage these go directly on the board and all you have to do is pop them in like a like a module screw them down and then we're going to add the heat sink the heat sinks as you can see are included with the motherboard and they have like a thermal tape on the back, which is just a little bit of a stickiness to it. Um, Make sure you peel off the protective layer. Okay. You don't want to accidentally put that on your uh, NVMe because NVMe's do get pretty hot. Um, This is going to absorb uh, a fair bit of that heat to give you better performance because NVMe also will throttle if, uh, if it gets too hot. So, Don't forget that tape, all right? Uh, And then I'm just going to screw that in. And that's as simple as it is to get the drives in. Now, I've got three of those. We're going to skip over for the sake of uh, good TV, we'll call it, and jump right to our i9 processor. That, of course, is the wonderful i 99900 k How do we get into the dodecahedron? That is the question. And that is a, a fantastic processor. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. Um, but let's, uh, let's first open it up. So I've got my box cutter. I want to do this in such a way that I can reuse the case. Because I'm thinking either a single board computer case will start with maybe LEDs in it to uh, to turn it into like an onset lamp. I think it just looks too cool to just discard or recycle this case. It's just pretty awesome. Uh, so this... CPU is the i9-9900K. The K means it's an unlocked processor. It'll run up to 5 gigahertz. Um, These are fantastic uh, for video editing and production purposes. Uh, This particular processor has 8 cores. And, of course, multi-threading will take that up to 16 as well. I'm almost in there. And there it is the heavenly semaphores need to play. <laughs> All right. So we've got our case. We've got our i9-9900K. And there you have it. So let's pop it on the motherboard. That's our next step. And if you've never built a computer before, well, this is a good opportunity for you to see how this particular build is done. I'm going to remove this protective cover on the motherboard that is just there to ensure during shipping and storage that uh, that the pins don't get dust or dirt on them that are going to affect the conductivity that's really important so remove that first and then open this up and we're just going to simply put that processor in there but there's a particular way that it needs to go in i'm going to show you how uh, how we can determine that What else is in the box we've got a what looks like a manual all right throw that aside jeff just cringed <laughs> okay so if you look at the the port the lga 1155 port that's going to show you it's, it's got a little a little triangular uh a little thing it's a little hard to see through the through the plastic but that matches up with the motherboard. So there's a little triangle printed uh, printed on the motherboard, and if I get in here, I'm going to show you this. You see that little guy? That triangle is going to match up. So you want to make sure that you put this in the right way. Make sure you match that up with uh, with uh, with the motherboard. And I said 1155. I meant LGA 1151. Pardon me, my mistake. And we just latch that down and we're good to go. So next up, I want to install this Kingston Predator RGB RAM. They've sent us four 16-gig modules at 3.2 gigahertz each. And uh, those, those modules, I mean, that's going to give us 64 gigs of RAM dual channel on this motherboard. And I, I must say, I mean, we love Kingston technology here, and uh, and we greatly appreciate their support of this build as well. There they are. They're uh, they're quite large. Look at that. And they've got the built-in heat sinks, which again, the heat sink is going to improve performance because you're not going to have any trouble with throttling or anything like that. So, open up your uh, your uh, your RAM slots here. Just pull those pins and. It's pretty easy to install these. You just want to be gentle, careful. Um, don't touch the pins of the uh, the modules themselves as well. And that's just going to go right onto the motherboard. It's only going to go one way. You can observe the pin uh, lineup up and, and see where that little divot is, and that will help you to know which way it goes in. And then you just kind of rock it back and forth. Don't do it side to side because you don't want to break it. Um, and it will just snap in, and those uh, those connectors on the end will actually snap into the uh, the card. Look at that heatsink! Isn't that lovely? Beautiful. We've got the RGB strip at the top, so presumably that's going to light up as soon as we fire up the motherboard. And the heatsink is going to absorb a lot of the uh, the heat that's generated by the mass amounts of DDR4 RAM. There we go. So we've got four of those, and the uh, gigabyte motherboard is going to take all four. And we'll just kind of speed things up for you and get through that installation process. Pretty simple stuff. It's pretty quick and easy to install the RAM modules, but we want to put that in. Make sure you do that before the heat sink, because as soon as we put in the cooling system, it's going to be really hard to access the, uh, the RAM. And with our cooling system, let's get into the box of the Noxhua nhd 15 And I joke that nobody buys these for the style of them or the look. We buy them for the cooling capacity. That box there is the, uh, the one that I opened first is the, uh, the mounting apparatus. But this is the, the extra fan that it comes with. So we do have two fans. And you can see it's got that kind of retro look to it. And that's the heat sink itself, which also has a fan attached to it. So we'll get into the box here and see how that looks. Okay, just be very, very careful. And you don't want to get any dust on the the contact there. It is protected by plastic at this time. And it's brand new, so it's pristine and clean. We'll just pull out this extra cardboard here. See that, uh, just do everything. I mean, anytime I do a build, you just got to be patient. And and take your time. Don't do anything forcibly. Look at that. That heatsink is just massive and beautiful in its own way. Just awesome. So that's the next thing to put onto our motherboard. Um, and I just need to know what uh, what mounting hardware to use. Because this box of mounting hardware is... It's got AMD and everything else. But we're installing the LGA 1151, as you can see there. And uh, so when we come back, we're going to be putting that on the motherboard. Stick around. All right, welcome back everybody. Uh, We're looking at building our new i9 server case. This is for our Telestream Wirecast broadcast rig. And I'm about to install the backplate on the CPU cooling system from Noctua. So we know that it's an 1151. I know I mistakenly called it an 1155, but we know what, what I was talking about. I'm just going to place that on the back. Now, one of the uh, uh, observations here and mentions is that my case has this grand opening on the back to allow me to do this without having to take the motherboard out, but do observe yours before you place the motherboard on the uh, in the actual case. I'm lucky that uh, mine was able to do that but yours you may have to mount that ahead of time so keep that in mind Uh, one thing i noticed as i set this up is that this back plate is going to fall out so it's helpful to have some masking tape around just to temporarily hold it into place so that we can uh, mount that correctly uh, on the other side so that it'll hold it in place so just keep in mind um, i have the ability to do this on the back of the case you may have had to mount this particular piece before putting the motherboard in, okay? wanna be clear about that. Uh, let's get right to it. So now I need to put the mounting screws to hold that plate into place. So these little guys are gonna actually hold that from this side be very careful you don't touch that cpu okay and plan out how you're going to line up these mounting uh plates so i'm going to place these this way it will go any which way so keep that in mind because um you want to make sure that your airflow is in the direction that you want it to be so that's why i'm placing it like that all right so a couple of screws and we're in and we're good to go it's in there solid so next up I need to pull this fan off of the the heat sink system. So that's just a couple of clips. Get that out of the way. And we're going to put that back in a little bit and clip those on. But first I need some thermal paste. And this thermal grizzly paste, I opted out of using the conductive paste, um, because I just didn't want to take the risk, and this stuff, the Cryonaut, is very, very good for the i9, so I'm going to go with a bead, uh, which is a sized bead in the middle of the processor, and I'm going to allow the heat sink to spread that for me. I'm not going to do the spreading. I'm not, I'm not going to do the X pattern. It's a debate which one you want to go with. Tonight, we're going to go with the bead. There we have it. All right, so now I'm ready to mount this heat sink. This is the Noctua NH-D15. And uh, all we need to do is pull off the plastic protective coating and be very careful that we don't touch any surfaces that are going to come in contact with our processor or, of course, the processor surface itself. And we're just going to mount that right on top there and give that a couple of screws. Now, it was nice that it came with... So the, uh, the Noctua uh, cooling system came with this giant long screwdriver to allow me to do this much more easily. I don't have to really get all finicky with it and find the right tools. It came with it and I'll be able to reuse that. So now I can put that fan back in place. Make sure that it's aligned uh, to the direction that you want uh, the airflow to go. I'm going to show you that in just a second how you can determine that and make sure that you can plug that into the motherboard. These are speed control fans so you need a three pin header in order to use those uh, to their full capacity. Now you see that little arrow there on the fan? It's a little hard to see but that shows the direction of the airflow. So plan that out and uh, mount your fans in such a way that it's blowing the air out the back of your, your, uh, your computer chassis. So now just a couple more wires to make sure that that is in place. That's on the PWM headers of my motherboard, and that goes on the other side. I'm having to levitate that a little bit because of those uh, large RAM modules, but it does, uh, it does the trick and unfortunately covers the RGB. I've got the power supply. That's our next step. We've got to power this thing, so this is, uh, of course, the RM850X. From Corsair it's a modular power supply which means I get all these cables and that means I can really uh, well I only have to use the cables that I need that means I don't have to have a whole lot of clutter or cables that are just there for no reason um, these are I can just plug in the ones that I actually need for my build so it comes in this nice protective bag um, I guess you could reuse that it's a little purposeless but hey it's a nice bag I guess so there you go nice big honking cooler on there and i want to make sure that the airflow is going to be blowing out the bottom of my chassis so keep that in mind again when you're mounting it plan out the airflow that's crucial here we're not doing liquid cooling system we're doing entirely um, air cooled uh, as far as our cooling system goes for the i9 And there we have it. So I'm ready to uh, start doing the cabling for the power. First of all, I can get uh, all this tape off of here. We don't need that anymore. That's all mounted and solid. So let's get that off of there. And look at that. Just beautiful. And I can start feeding these cables through the cable management. And I will clean those up. Don't you worry. Um, Some of them are left over from our previous build. And uh, just make sure you feed those so that they're out of the way and uh, that they reach where they need to go. So a little hard to get around that, uh, that cooling system might need some little hands. (laughs) I had some trouble getting a couple of the headers on there, but I was able to make do. So I got it on there. We've got uh, all the power that's coming in there for the, uh, the motherboard. And then we've got these headers for the front panel, which is like your power button, your audio and all that. It came with, so the motherboard came with this great little header that just plugs right in and we're good to go. So just clean up our wiring there. And uh, I'm using tie wraps just to kind of make sure that those are tied up nicely at the back. You're not going to see those, but I want to make absolutely certain that there's great airflow within the chassis itself. And that's exactly what I've been able to achieve here with this chassis. All right, so next step is we're going to jump into the Intensity Pro 4K. This is from Blackmagic, and we do not use this for capture because we prefer Magewell capture cards. However, I do love this card for video output from Telestream Wirecast. It gives me full-frame 4K output. And, uh, oh, DaVinci Resolve comes with it. uh, And that's going to be our new editing software. It looks like we got some kind of driver software on SD card, which is interesting. No optical. And it's just a little, uh, it looks like an X2 uh, card uh, to to pop into the motherboard. So um, can that go above the video card? Uh, So I'm thinking about where the video card is going to go butted up against the cooling system. I don't think it's going to fit in there. Uh, because the cooling system kind of overlaps. So I'm actually losing one of my exports, PCI Express, which is fine, I hope. But that cooling system is blocking one of my ports. And this card being an X2, uh, it's not going to go into an X1. I'm going to have to use an X16. So let's start it off right next to the power supply. And uh, we'll pop that in there. And we'll need to adjust things as we go. I do need to fit a couple of Magewell cards in there as well. In the box, we've also got component and uh, we've got some RCA inputs and things like that on a breakout cable so we can use some retro stuff. And now let's get into the NVIDIA Quadro RTX 6000 card. This thing is just outstanding and and as you saw earlier in the show i mean when i opened this when i unboxed this i'm just i'm flabbergasted i got to be honest i'm i'm just like this is well beyond what we had ever hoped for we'll call this a professional card um this is of course um nvidia's like current line we've got lots of ports there for display port i bought some adapters off of amazon for just a cheap price to convert that to uh, to hdmi and look at that circuitry on the back. It's just an astonishing card. But, okay, looking at the specs of this, I mean, first of all, this is a pro card, right? So this is not uh, your average consumer card like we were, you know, that would have been our baseline. Um, this card goes for about four grand. Um, it has 4,600 plus CUDA cores. It's got 576 Tensor cores and 72 RT cores as well. Uh, it's got 24 gigs of RAM on that card. It's DDR6 RAM at that. Uh, We've got a couple of screws to put in to mount that into the main board, uh, into the chassis itself. This video card is is like what's going to take us to the next level because we're able to uh, do live chroma key, live production. Our encoders are going to be a lot faster when we're encoding HD and Ultra HD video. We're hoping to get really into the Ultra HD market uh, as far as Category 5 goes. We need two... PCI Express power cables into the GT- uh, the RTX 6000. This card performs, imagine this, at 16.3 teraflops. That's the GPU. A little more cable management for those power cords. I'm going to get that into the power uh, power supplying uh, unit there. Make sure those are plugged into the right spot. If you fire up your computer with the GPU and you have not plugged in the PCI Express power to the card you're not going to have any video coming out of the video card so keep that in mind that's what it's going to look like folks that's what it's going to look like i'm going to have to take that off again because i've got more stuff to mount but that's it beautiful look at the back of this folks so i've got the uh the display port ports coming out of the gpu we've got the uh output from the card there um black magic intensity pro and then of course that main board from gigabyte is just awesome alright next up I have got one of these uh, camera displays ready to go and uh, we're gonna use a camera display in order to install the operating system so I've got that display port adapter which is gonna give me HDMI output from that video card to a little 7-inch uh, video display that we use for our cameras but that's going to allow me to install Microsoft Windows 10 and there we go so if all works let's fire it up and yes no problem folks straight into Windows 10 install install from uh, from a, a DVD that is our broadcast rig here at Category 5 TV for like the second half of season 13 and I just have to say huge thanks to everybody who is a patron everybody who contributed the project who even if you're not a patron but just decided to pitch in uh, i thank you and i and i want to thank also kingston technology and gigabyte as well as of course nvidia uh, for supporting us through hardware contributions and then we have that um that thermal take chassis that goes back many many years but yet even here in uh in 2019 is uh is able to impact our build Uh, so That is going to really improve things here at Category 5 Technology TV over the next little while. And I certainly think that that's going to last us for many, many years to come. So thank you to everybody who has been a part of that. Venture, And I say that thinking about the monetary end of things, but there are also those of you who contributed by, uh, by being one of those voices that I was able to bounce ideas around with and, and being able to discuss the build with uh, ahead of time and, and make those purchasing decisions and figure out what we wanted to do. So I thank you all. Uh, we do have to head over to the newsroom. So Sasha, Jeff, if you're ready, you're rolling.
1: Here's what's coming up in the Category 5.TV newsroom. Thousands of Disney Plus accounts are already up for sale on hacking forums. IoT doorbell Ring had a bug in its configuration app which sent Wi-Fi set information unencrypted to some doorbell devices, exposing customers' home networks. GitHub will preserve open source code in an Arctic vault. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show. This is the Category 5.TV newsroom, covering
2: the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias.
1: I'm Sasha Rickman, joined this week by Jeff Weston and also Robbie Ferguson. Um, He's just offset.
2: I am over here somewhere.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Some quick honorable mentions this week. A new AI is combining machine learning and computer vision to detect drowning people in real time using object recognition. It's able to tell if a person is swimming normally or if they're at risk of drowning. What's best is that the drowning detection is open source and can run on a single board computer such as a Raspberry Pi. A secretive clean energy company backed by Bill Gates has created a way to use mirrors and artificial intelligence to harness the heat of the sun, replacing the need to use fossil fuels, uh, heat applications and cut back on CO2 emissions. This invention creates concentrated solar energy so hot that they can manufacture steel, glass and cement with a carbon free source that has not been available before.
1: Let's get into the top stories we're following this week. Thousands of Disney Plus accounts are already up for sale on hacking forums. Disney's hotly anticipated streaming service Disney Plus finally launched this week. Despite being open to the public for just a few days, hackers have already hijacked thousands of accounts and put them up for sale on the dark web. The going rate for a hacked account appears to be somewhere between $3 and $5. That's three to four times more than the asking price for a hacked Netflix account. Logical enough, given the excitement around the Disney Plus launch. So, yeah, I'm not really all that surprised, to be honest with you.
0: (laughs) You know, I watched the big hype of Disney Plus, and the first thing I thought was, I have no desire to put any money into
2: this. Into Disney Plus? Into Disney Plus. Oh, wow.
1: I I can see the draw. Like, I actually want to see all... I want to see all of the things on it. I just don't want to pay for it. Well,
0: I mean, I I get the appeal. You have all the classic Disney stuff, but you also have Star Wars and Marvel and all that kind of stuff built in, which, you know, for somebody who's a big movie buff, that's exactly what you're looking for. Right. And for somebody who has young kids... I could see the appeal to say, hey, you know, my kids can watch this and it's great. But at the same time, I'm going, I already have Netflix. Yeah. I already have other streaming services. Yeah. I have no desire to throw money at Disney for something else. That's
2: really tough.
0: It is. Like, you've I'm got the, young kids,
2: Robbie. What are you? Well, I'm the voice over here, folks. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, is isn't is it tough, I think, for content creators and distributors these days because like Disney needs their platform and Netflix needs their platform Amazon Prime needs their platform but I'm not a like Jeff you say I'm not about to subscribe to every platform right I just want the Orville and like the morning show like how do I get these on one platform because right. right now that's what that's the challenge for us consumers and i think that the the creators the content creators have to come up with the solution where like am i going to subscribe to hulu and amazon prime i'm in a great situation where amazon prime also gives me free shipping so
1: do want to ask a question about the security of the situation Yeah. because the real story is that hackers have hijacked all of the accounts. Okay, reality goes,
2: yeah. Right? But the,
0: that's not them hacking Disney+. Plus. That's people who have really bad security on their computers and their home networks and are probably using the same password from the same email. And I mean, let's be clear, chances are the majority of Disney+, Plus. Users and subscribers are more than likely families that often have tons of accounts for their kids and everything and you're going to recycle passwords. Mm -hmm. Like, I I think that's what this story is about is people not being... Careful with their passwords and the software on their computers. And, and I think that's what it is. So
1: couldn't Disney Plus not have one of those password strength things that other places have?
2: What good is that, yeah. Sasha, if you already have the same password on Twitter? And Facebook, and your banking, and your email account. So doesn't it come down to we have to have a password manager so that we can generate a fresh password for every single subscription that we have online?
1: That is that, exactly what I'm saying. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, I mean,
0: it, it doesn't surprise me that you're going to get those passwords out there.
1: Uh, yeah, what probably people are doing is using their same password for Disney Plus as they are for Netflix. and like That's Google exactly right. Yeah, well, exactly. All- so
2: compromise one and you get access yeah. to all of them. Am on, I
0: right? And on yeah. top of that, most people are going to be playing this on their smart TVs and their other streaming devices. And so the likelihood of them logging in and logging off and logging in, and all, it's not going to happen. They're going to log in on their device. Yeah. They're going to recognize it. They're going to approve it. And they're not going to pay attention to the account for however long. And so if you've got, you know, a hundred other people who have purchased their login information (laughs) for $3, they have no clue. And so while you're paying the monthly fees, they're sitting there going, I spent 3 bucks. I gave up my coffee at Starbucks today, and I'm watching Disney Plus forever.
2: True. That is true. And does that really matter to me as a consumer who's paying for that service? It's like the stolen cable. Exactly. our childhood where it's like (laughs) do I really care? I'm paying for it, but you know, who has access to it? And and so we're talking about somebody stealing our access. They don't have access to our personal confidential data, I hope, but they have access to our accounts. Yeah. Wow.
1: It's really interesting. She says. I I feel like I I would just assume that Disney Plus would do one of those password strength things. But,
0: but that is useless if, you I use, know. if you've got a really strong password that you use for all your sites. I mean, it used to be you could put a password in, and then it was, oh, it's got to be six characters. Now it's got to be eight <laughs> characters. By the way, you need to use capitals and small letters. Yes. Oh, now you need punctuation. It's like, come on.
2: Now like, you need a 32-bit <laughs> signed yeah. algorithmic <laughs> yeah
0: yeah like i'm surprised though that for the fact that i mean you go to like on a disney cruise or anything like that disney is all about security and family protection i'm a little bit shocked that they don't have two-factor authentication authentication for their service don't they
2: do you know that they don't they, I, may. they I,
1: might have I it as an option i don't, I don't know. know
2: so maybe i'm just speaking gibberish but maybe that's what we need to look for 2fa 2fa is the answer all the time exactly so
1: all right we've got to take a quick break the crypto report and more of this week's top tech stories are coming up don't go anywhere
2: Welcome back. Okay, let's take a quick look at the cryptocurrency report as it shows on our website, category5.tv. Now this week, the Bitcoin currency is down. I mean, $574 down. It's on its decline. Is that going to persist? I don't know. Nobody does. That's the thing. Uh, Okay, Facebook, Libra, still not trading. Uh, Litecoin, I mean, everything is down. Litecoin is down at $55.99, so we're talking a loss of $5.46, which, for a coin that's less than $60 in value, that's a pretty big percentage loss. $177 for the Ethereum coin, uh, down $8.85. Monero is also down. Scala is down. TurtleCoin Bitcoin is also down. I mean, everything is on the decline right now, but what affects that? And the thing that we uh, try to reiterate here at Category 5 Technology TV is that there is no knowing how the cryptocurrency market is going to flow. And so you just have to be ready for it. And by being ready for it, we suggest that you only invest what you can afford to lose. It's very possible that you could lose everything that you invest. It's very possible as well that it could increase in value. We really don't know because the cryptocurrency market is always open. It never closes. And it's extremely volatile. I'm going to head back over to the newsroom. Sasha, what do you got for us?
1: IoT doorbell Ring had a bug in its configuration app which sent Wi-Fi setup information unencrypted to some doorbell devices, exposing customers' home networks. Researchers from Bitdefender notified Ring in June of a flaw in Ring Video Doorbell Pro cameras software that made it possible for wireless eavesdroppers to grab the Wi-Fi credentials of customers during the device's setup because those credentials were sent over an unsecured Wi-Fi Wi-Fi connection to the device using unencrypted HTTP. An attacker could take advantage of this bug by forcing a victim to reconfigure the doorbell. The attacker could use a Wi-Fi deauthorization or deauth attack against the device to make it re-enter configuration mode and could use a malicious Wi-Fi device to make the ring doorbell drop off its network. The doorbell's owner would then have to notice that the doorbell is disconnected, which may require the attacker or someone else to ring the doorbell before the targeted owner realizes the doorbell is offline. When the doorbell is put back into configuration mode, the app will offer to reconnect the doorbell to the Wi Fi network and then resend the credentials to the doorbell in an HTTP message encoded in XML. The attacker would then be able to connect to the victim's home Wi-Fi network if there are no other security measures in place to stop them, such as device whitelisting or partitioning of the Wi-Fi network. All affected devices should now be patched, according to Ring and Bitdefender. But this is another example of why owners of Internet of Things devices should consider using Wi-Fi routers capable of segmenting networks or offering guest Wi-Fi networks that restrict access by connected devices to the Internet only. And de attacks can still be used to knock these devices offline, allowing a burglar or porch pirate to cover their tracks by disabling video recording.
0: That's a whole lot of work you have to go through to make it happen.
1: But once you get good at it, I'm sure you just do it, right? Uh,
0: I I guess. I mean... (sighs) So, I'm glad that they jumped on it quickly, though.
1: Right. Which so, is good. Yeah, exactly. So there's these, there's those doorbells, right? That just do like the 30 second video recording when the doorbell rings. Right. But then there's also like motion detecting door. Like there's so many different Internet of Things devices out there that the story it doesn't even just speak to the ring doorbell as much as like the smart fridges, IoT and in, the, in general. Yeah, yes. well, like,
2: exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So. The the guest Wi-Fi or the whitelisted routers? Yes.
0: Yep. Right. Uh, so that's how I have my network set at at, uh, at at home is I have all of my devices whitelisted. Once I connect them, smart. I log them in and nothing else can connect. So, I mean, if somebody comes by the house and they're like, hey, I want to connect. Sorry, not going to happen. <laughs> Here's the guest net. Yeah. Because, oh, okay. Because the guest net is... It's segmented off. From right. my home Wi Fi, all of my devices are protected. They are whitelisted. And if something shows up on trying to get in that's not on the whitelist, huh. I start going on a fishing expedition to find out what it is.
2: Yeah. Right. So Jeff, could you similarly set up a like a guest Wi Fi connection for your IoT devices so that things like smartphones? Smart fridges and smart devices are all connected to their own private VLAN?
0: Well, my router only allows for your home network and then your guest net. So, I mean, I could, and and I could password my guest net and make it so that nobody can join. So I could put my IoT things on the guest net. Yeah. And that way they're all segmented off into that and then have all my home computers and devices on my regular Wi-Fi network.
2: So I could split
0: it off that way. Yeah. Right.
2: But then um, it means that anybody who's coming to the house, sorry, they're not using the Wi-Fi. Okay, sure, fair enough. But having something more sophisticated, like a like say a MicroTik router, sure. something like that, where you can set up multiple VLANs, that makes a lot of sense in this scenario. So that your your visitors, your guests, can use Wi-Fi because the kids' friends are going to ask to use the Wi-Fi when they want to play Roblox on their devices, right? Right. That's how it works. But but. The fact is, is I don't want them to have access to my LAN servers. What if their laptop has a ransomware um, deployment running that is going to encrypt anything that it finds on a network as soon as they connect? We don't have any control over that. But what we do have control over is segmenting the Wi-Fi in such a way that they only have access to the Internet and not our internal LAN servers. And that's thinking about ransomware. but also thinking about the fact that hey kids are smart these days i don't want them having access to my personal files
1: either so are there different levels of routers like you said yours just has the the main and then the guest is there like internet of things routers where you have like a ton of different segments i
2: think does it come down to consumer versus commercial yeah. Right. I, but MicroTik is a very happy medium. And I use MicroTik as an example because we don't have to go to the $4,000 Cisco. We can just go with a $500 MicroTik and get the same features right. as that $4,000 Cisco. That's oh. what's mind-blowing yeah. about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't even spent that much on my home router. Like, I think our router was about 250 bucks. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, so, I mean, it was, it was on the high end of your you know, typical consumer gear. Um, but one of the other things that I, now that I'm thinking about the router, I could have four different segments to it because I also have, uh, the two different bands, uh, oh, the 2.4 okay. and the five gig. Right. So oh, okay. with each yeah, of those, you could utilize can that. A, I can have yeah. a guest and my home network. So I could, in theory, I do have access to four different bands mm-hmm. now because we've got a, a bungalow, the five gig doesn't quite reach the whole house because it is a shorter range, mm-hmm. right. but the 2.4 does Offer enough.
1: that one to the kids.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, when <laughs> we upgrade, like when my yeah. wife and I upgrade our phones, we'll give our kids the old phones, but then they've got the old phone that they no longer use for Wi-Fi and, and whatnot. Um, but I will pull those off the wait list because they're still in the home. They, you know, they've got an old game on it, whatever. But what I don't want is some, you know, Issue with the software where there's a vulnerability because they're no longer updating it. I don't want it accessing our network, so I'll pull those right off.
1: That's great forward thinking, actually.
0: I'm telling you, I'm not just a pretty face. Wow. And Robbie's
2: going, You're not even that. You guys. All right, off to Sasha, shall we?
1: Yes. (laughs) GitHub will preserve open source code in an Arctic vault. GitHub has announced its plans to launch the Arctic Code Vault with the aim to preserve open source software for future generations for at least 1,000 years. The code sharing site is partnering with the Long Now Foundation, the Internet Archive, the Software Heritage Foundation, Arctic World Archive, Microsoft Research, the Bodleian Library and Stanford Libraries to ensure the long term preservation of the world's open source software. The GitHub announcement states, quote, there is a long history of lost technologies from which the world would have benefited, as well as abandoned technologies, which we found unexpected new years. The company plans to store and preserve open source software like Flutter and TensorFlow in an abandoned coal mine in Norway, (laughs) 250 meters deep in the permafrost of an Arctic mountain. GitHub stores its data on specialized, ultra-durable film, which is coated in iron oxide powder. This data can be read by a computer or a human with a magnifying glass in case of a global power outage. Remarkably, this film is said to last for 1,000 years. The Norwegian tech company that makes the special film said that... They might even last for up to 2,000 years if stored in a cool, dry, and low-oxygen cave. Among the first data deposits, open-source software codes can be stored at the vault, included the Linux and Android operating systems and 6,000 other important open-source applications. GitHub is preparing to capture a snapshot of every active public repository on February 2nd, 2020 and preserve that data in the Arctic Code Vault. The snapshot will include public code repositories as well as significant dormant repositories. As if that's not impressive enough, GitHub is also working on Microsoft's project Silica to archive all active public repositories for over 10,000 years by writing them into quartz glass platters with lasers. This is awesome.
0: The,
1: this is awesome.
0: It's a very interesting story. It reminds me of... Um, is it called the NOAA project? There's that vault uh, where they... They're storing all of the seeds. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like that. But what's interesting is they've given a date.
1: What I like about <laughs> so, the date, and I have to ah, say this, and I know the binary is it's like so zeros arbitrary. And ones, right. But they gave February the 2nd, 2020. So it's 0202 2020. Yes. Oh, uh, I yeah, didn't even I,
2: catch that. That's I, amazing, Sasha. Well I, I done. I do
0: like that. But what <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm sitting here going, okay, so you've announced a date. Yes. And if I'm, uh, quite frankly, a social jerk and want to, like, upload a repository of, like, viruses and all this kind of stuff under open source, that's the day I'm going to make sure that I've got a repository out there of bad stuff.
1: Oh, Jeff, the dark side. Well, you'll be stored in a cave for 10,000 years or 1,000
2: years or something. Uh, (laughs) Yes, but I mean... This is the world we live in. We're this is how he thinks, folks.
1: Yeah, except that. Oh, okay.
2: February 2nd? So here's I what's going I better make some viruses.
1: So we're going to be, in like 2,000 years, we're going to be down in this cave. And by we, I don't mean me. <laughs> but uh, we're going to be down in the cave. The and, open and
2: source and version the, of you, Sasha. <laughs> That's right. Sasha 2.0. With, with
1: a magnifying glass because yeah, yeah, yeah. we have a global shortage. And I'm yeah, going to be yeah. like, oh, good, good, good. Oh, no, Jeff was here.
0: <laughs> I didn't say I'm the bad guy. I just, <laughs> I just, you know, putting it out there. I, I think you open up the door for people going, "Oh, I'm going to put, you know, that out there." I mean, the the cool thing about it though is you also have people going, "Hold on, my my repository is going to be categorized on that day. I better make sure it's good. It looks good." <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. Make sure the what? readmes are just right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hold, because I, anybody
0: with a misspelling mistake is going to be like, "Oh, they just archived that for a thousand years."
2: I know, right? Ten thousand years, Jeff. I 10,
1: lo- I love this because it makes like digital, like tangible, right? Yeah. Whereas like, I I was watching a documentary on the film industry and how it's going digital and they're doing away with film and now now if the technology shifts and changes there's not going to be a way to access the archives of our films right so now i want them to hear this story and use this same iron oxide cool film stuff and find another (laughs) cave and we can just save all of our goods
0: (laughs) you're you're such a happy person yes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no
2: disagreement there right
1: <laughs> big, big thanks to roy w nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week thanks for watching the category 5.tv newsroom don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight linux bias and if you appreciate what we do become a patron at patreon.com newsroom From the Category 5.TV newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman.
2: And I'm Robbie Ferguson.
0: And I'm Jeff Weston.
2: All right, folks. Well, hey, this has been a lot of fun. We've got to take a really quick break. And uh, hey, don't go anywhere. Stick around, okay?
0: back to Category 5 Technology TV. It's been an amazing episode, that server build. Excellent news, but that's not all. Next week is where it gets really exciting because we're going to be taking a look at a brand new Amazon Echo Flex. It's a modular version of the Echo that will fit perfectly in a stocking. I'm not talking about your socks. I'm talking about the thing that hangs over the chimney. talking Christmas presents. You don't want to
2: miss it. It's going to be good. I like the way you think. Hey, don't forget we are on Patreon. You can head on over to patreon.com/category five, and also uh, Twitter. Hey, please follow us, Category Five TV. I am personally on Twitter. Uh, at Robbie Ferguson and I do incidentally follow back so hey if you follow me I'll follow you that's how it works around here Um, we also have edited down clips on YouTube called Linux Tech Show you can head on over to LinuxTechShow.com to find out more about that but for this week that's all the time that we have I'm Robbie Ferguson and over to that desk over there
1: I'm Sasha Rickman and
2: I'm Jeff Weston thanks everybody take it easy
1: Bye bye